Hello. Welcome, Welcome to Let's Get Haunted with, with your hosts, Matt Strawn and Allie Terry. Boom, boom, boom. That was, uh, we did a really loud intro. I'm going to have to bring that volume down <laughs> when we edit it. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, you guys. Welcome back. We are back in the studio for episode 10. Episode 10. Can you believe that we've made it? Through 10 episodes? Yes. We deserve this. <laughs> I thought you were going to say no. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I need to be more optimistic. And I knew what we would get to episode 10. For our 10th episode. That was really episode. hard for me to spit out that sentence. Because <laughs> I don't believe it in my soul. <laughs> well, there's still, you know, a bomb could just strike me down in the middle of making this episode. So I certainly hope not. Because yeah. I would die as well. You're sitting right across from me. I, do, I don't think I can die. I've put myself in so many dangerous situations. Oh and nothing bad has ever happened I'm getting to me. such bad vibes right now you need to cut that out because <laughs> at the, the second thing. that we as humans get you know what it's fine I know what you're gonna say it's fine I, don't even I know what you're gonna say there. and I just want you to know that that's what they want you to think they want to take away our powers hubris <laughs> it's hubris is it yeah explain okay in high school I had a teacher, not going to say his name. He taught English and every single fucking story we had to read in that English class. I talked about a good English teacher a couple episodes ago. This was not a good English teacher. Every single episode, whoa, not episode, class. Every single class, we would have to read a story and the theme of every single story was hubris. He was obsessed with hubris. I don't know why. What is what is hubris? It's when you get too full of yourself and too self-assured. And so then the universe has to like bring you back down. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that happens. That teacher also used to call me his little strumpet, quote unquote. Mm. Nobody knew what strumpet meant at the time. The year after we decided to Google it, it means prostitute. Ooh. That's very weird. It's like a weird thing to say to like a 16-year-old. Were you a prostitute? Not to my knowledge. Mm. But my doppelganger that we discussed <laughs> last episode, maybe my doppelganger was fucking that English teacher and he thought it was me. You know, there's uh, one of the things I was taught in school as a child. One of the first things I was taught in school as a child was context clues. You know what those are, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where it's basically like use use what else is what other information you have been given to deduce what something means without right. actually knowing what it means mm-hmm. it's basically make an educated guess about what a word means or something means right right and um because that was one of the first things that i learned or maybe it was my favorite thing i learned i feel like that has just been sort of a philosophy a cornerstone of my entire life's existence is context clues and lately i've just been starting to think like why, why don't I just Google exactly what something means, right? So when you said hubris, I was thinking like the Latin roots and I was thinking like, oh, it has something to do with humility. Like it has something to do with um, something about uh, humility, like humble, I don't know. And I could have gone my whole life without knowing what it means, but I decided to ask you what it means. And then I decided to ask you what strumpet meant because I would have thought that it meant like a little dessert. Okay, that's what I thought he was saying too because how would I have possibly used context clues to know that he was telling me that I'm his little prostitute? I was not banging him. There Mm -hmm. were no context clues. I was not flirting with him. I was like 15. Right. He was like 50. And I think that's what so many stories come down to is 
translations. And this is something you can respect because you are a professional translator, Alyssa. This is accurate. Yeah. And the way that we communicate with people, the words that we choose to use, we can try our best to be understood and still come off wildly incorrect to the point where our 14-year-old student thinks we're calling them a prostitute. Correct. However, his exact words were, ah, Alyssa, my little strumpet. I mean, I'm just wondering if maybe he didn't know what that meant. If he was a shitty English teacher, he maybe doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe he thought he was saying like my little croissant. Yeah, like my my little like dumpling. Or maybe that word is synonymous with prostitutes because maybe it's it used to be like a like a like my little cherry, you know. Drop in the SoundCloud comments what you think strumpet means or what you think my English teacher was trying to tell me at that time. Why do we teach people context clues? It's it's not right because that, yeah, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's to, te- to teach context clues? To teach children that like, oh, you don't need to look up what this is. Just use context clues. Well, I think it's a, it's taught as more of like a test taking um, tactic because like, for example, you learn, okay, if, you can eliminate A and B, then you know it has to be C, even though you don't know the answer. Okay, you don't know what this definition of this word means. Use context clues to figure it out so you can answer the question. And this is the perfect segue into my story today, because basically what you're saying is we are deciding not what is right and wrong, but what will help us pass a test. Right? Correct. Yeah, that's what yes. that is what I'm saying. Yes. That we don't need to know the exact terminology or the exact definition. We just have to pass the test. Oh. Alyssa. Yes. What do you think was happening in the world in the late 1600s? I think witches were being burnt at the stake. Oh, uh, so, okay, everyone who doesn't know, (laughs) before we started this episode, I played a song for Alyssa, and I was like, see if you can figure out what we're going to talk about, and I played the song for her, and I left the room. This is Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. That was Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac, and Fleetwood Mac is composed, uh, one of the people that's in Fleetwood Mac is Stevie Nicks, who is a famed witch. She was even in uh, a season of American Horror Story, the one that, the Coven season. Mm-hmm. Because, I saw that episode. Yeah, yeah, because she is, people think she's a witch. It's and well known. She's never confirmed or denied those, like outright said, I am or I am not a witch, or I think maybe she has said she's a witch. Um, before but then later denied it i don't know but the point is that rhiannon that song is about a welsh witch and those lyrics are witchy because it's talking about the power of a woman getting her power from the wind witchcraft witchcraft as we know wind only blows your hair around you cannot get power from it so if the consumes power from the wind thou must be witch pocahontas got power from the wind Yes, she did. The colors of the wind. Yes, she did. She could paint with them. Yes, you were correct. In the late 1600s, there was something called the witch craze going on. 16th century Scotland was notorious for the witch hunts, okay? Okay. And this was mainly because King James of Scotland had an obsession with witchcraft because the violent death of his mother, Mary, Queen of Scots, by execution in 1587, was said to inspire James's dark fascination with magic. 
So then later he um, becomes obsessed with witches, witchcraft, the occult, and he blamed evil spells and uh, for and witches for conjuring up storms that were turning his boat astray and almost made him wreck his have a shipwreck. And <laughs> that's kind of like how we are, though, where we blame everything on being haunted. Yeah. Like everything bad in our lives. That way we don't have to take personal responsibility. Yes. Yeah. So in 1589, James was sailing back to Scotland from Denmark with his new wife, Anne, and their ship encountered violent storms at sea, and they were both nearly drowned, and he blamed it on evil evil spirits and witches for conjuring the storm. And then following his return to Scotland, he ordered a witch hunt in the coastal town of North Berwick, and later he wrote Demonology, a treatise on witchcraft to further inspire persecution against witches. So he almost died, and because he was mad about that that he decided to go to his home country and kill a bunch of people right write some <laughs> write some uh, stuff that would end up killing a bunch of people okay yeah. got it so uh yes the 1600s we have tons of religious wars going on in absolutism which is this idea that there is one right thing and everything else is wrong it's absolutism right it's not um what you might think it is which is like vodka (laughs) worship of vodka it's not um who do you think was the strongest nation in power during the late 1600s i mean i want to say england was it scotland though because they're scotland so this is a story about scotland so now i'm gonna change my mind it was scotland no it wasn't it was france france yeah Yeah. so i yeah i found that surprising too because we think of france as being this like artsy country that like doesn't care about power and just wants to like put little i don't know fleur de lis on things and drink wine and have good food and and invent cool fashions but actually no they were the strongest nation because of their uh navy i think so what happened i here i'm about to tell you exactly what happened oh my gosh okay also during that time we had um Descartes' philosophy, which was planting the seed of query in people's mind. The Enlightenment is just about to happen. And here are some quotes from Descartes. If you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt as far as possible all things. Also, he said, I am accustomed to sleep in my dreams and to imagine the same things that lunatics imagine when awake. (laughs) Fuck yeah. (laughs) So basically he's saying, question everything And if you don't have doubt in your mind of all things, then you're probably wrong anyways. And then his second quote is, "Um, I might be a lunatic. So (laughs) I I, I like him. Also, Isaac Newton uh, came out. What was his, uh, sorry, what was his sign? Descartes. Oh, I don't know. We should look it up. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're telling me the next one. Probably a Gemini. Yeah, I was about to say that. Um, Isaac Newton, he's the dude that invented calculus, as we know from the memes. He also died a virgin fun fact what he yeah. died a virgin that's the famous meme it's a picture of isaac newton and it's and it's like did you know isaac newton died a virgin and then someone said that's what you get for inventing calculus i love that <laughs> yeah. I, you know what though he didn't need sex no why would he why would he As um, anyone knows the quest for knowledge is the only thing that matters in this world <laughs> <laughs> okay descartes was born uh the same day as jack i don't know what his sign is wait what's that day march 31st Oh, it's close to Gemini, but it's not. He's an Aries. Is it Aries? Yeah. He's an Aries. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. Descartes was an Aries. I don't know. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Isaac Newton, laws of motion, uh, and 
pulling us further away from the idea that everything revolves around the world. Uh, we're starting to see ourselves as less important, as less... Um, like godly like we are the center of the universe galileo has the telescope and starts uh seeing the moons of whatever wait yeah the moons circling jupiter and he sees those sunspots on the sun and he's like oh you know what maybe uh copernicus's theory um that earth doesn't revolve or that earth revolves around the sun might be right so we are essentially pulling ourselves down in importance and beginning to see ourselves as part of the cosmos instead of like humans are god's image and we are the most important thing here so right? we're destroying our hubris exactly it's basically everything you learned in ninth grade english yeah. <laughs> um okay and then at this time we also had autocratic governments flaunting their extravagant riches and this is where why we think of france as having this wine and all of this baroque art and all of this um amazing you know like marie antoinette yeah exactly because this was a time when you had autocratic governments being like look how rich we are mm-hmm the religious scene at this time was super tense. The Protestant Reformation was putting pressure on the Catholic Church that responded with a counter-reformation from the Catholic Church. And so the Catholic Church invested in the arts to reproduce biblical narratives and to restore the public's faith in the counter-reformation. Um, the spark notes on that is basically Catholic Church is like opulent. We have all these rituals. We've got the um, all these artists in the Renaissance uh, that are painting all these beautiful paintings and then you have the Protestant church who's actually like, oh, this is bad. God wants us to live on the dirt. I'm just kidding. They yeah. didn't say that. But they're basically like, we need to move away from this opulence and right. be closer towards the like piety, I would say, or um, the holiness and less with like material goods. They started demonizing material goods. That reminds me of the quick conversation we had on a previous episode where I told you that my dad was Catholic and my mom was Protestant. And so when they got married, yeah. they had to choose and we settled on Lutheranism. Right. Because they are totally opposite ends yes. of the spectrum of yeah. Christianity. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah they are. And they, to a point where they were fighting and killing each other for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the counter Reformation, which was um, basically the Catholic Church being like, you, you know what? The first first Reformation didn't work, so here's the second one. They invested in the arts, just like in the Renaissance when you had um, Michelangelo making the Sistine Chapel, like all those beautiful paintings. During this time, they had Baroque artists uh, taking biblical narratives and painting them. So I kind of want to show you the difference between Renaissance art and Baroque era art. So here is a painting from the Renaissance, famous one. This is Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. Can you describe it? It is God surrounded by angels in heaven, touching fingers with Adam. Mm -hmm. And Adam's got a little dick. (laughs) He's very relaxed, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like there's probably not a lot of blood flow. And they're touching fingers because God is making Adam in his own image. Yeah, yeah. But what would you say about if you were to see this painting? It's soft right the colors are soft it's not yeah. like it's soft it's realistic right um it's or i guess suppose it's like an idealized version yes. of of man yeah it's very I- idealistic mm-hmm. now i want to show you some baroque art all right so here it, we have a man sticking his finger into a flesh wound <laughs> of another man while a third man looks on right so this is um 
Car- I'm probably saying this wrong, but Caravaggio. Mm-hmm. He's a famous Italian Baroque painter. And this is called St. Thomas. And it's um, about the doubt that... Uh, so when Jesus came back from the dead, the one of his disciples doubted it. And this is a painting of him inserting his finger oh. into Jesus's body, into the wound to be like, oh, yep, you, it's really... It's true. Oh. And just looking at the difference between these two paintings with the Renaissance art with Michelangelo, it's like soft, pretty, beautiful blues and pinks and pastels. And then we're looking at this Baroque art and it's like, it's dark. It's literally black. Yeah. Like think about how much time went into making the background black. Yeah. It's a lot darker and it's not an ideal idealized version of anything and then here's another one by the same artist it's judith beheading holofernes and um violent yeah yeah it's literally it's the kind of the same thing it's a young woman who is looking beheading somebody and then there's someone over her shoulder being like yeah (laughs) it's like yeah it's an old woman looking over the shoulder of a younger woman who's beheading a man Mm -hmm. yeah and there's blood uh yes okay so now i think that when we look at art and popular culture it tells us more about a time period than anything else because those are the people like expressing what's going on without um trying to put words to it we just seeing the mood right right aesthetic is very important to me (laughs) um so if all of the art is steeped in religious scenes um that deal with morality and judgment then we can kind of deduce that what's going on in the world is probably people fighting morality and judgment and these um dark heady violent ideas yeah and like you said too about people sort of realizing their own mortality that they're not the center of the universe so the renaissance is literally showing adam created in god's own image very idealistic very soft very like beautiful Mm -hmm. and then going down to the baroque era where it's very like there's blood there's flesh there's someone sticking their hand in a wound yes yeah yeah Yeah, that's beautifully said i agree uh yeah i agree um and so we also have this idea of the new world which has been disney-fied luckily (laughs) for us so i don't have to go into that too much but basically new england has been settled by religious refugees who are seeking to build a pure bible-based society so these people um from the that are reacting to the counter-reformation and they're like you know what we already reformed once and you guys tried to do it back to us and now we're really gonna fuck you up because we're just gonna leave this whole country and go make a new one somewhere else (laughs) so where you can't get to us with your demons right yeah so taxes or demons confirmed (laughs) yeah exactly um and these are the puritans they're the quakers they're a bunch of other people that are the pilgrims that came from that other country yeah got it um and these people lived really closely with this sense of the supernatural um by the way the native americans did not want these people there so they didn't (laughs) yeah they did not (laughs) want them um And, uh, yeah, the big governments also didn't want them to do this either. But the big governments like France and these huge, powerful countries like uh, Spain and other places where the pilgrims came from. Scotland. Scotland, England. England, They're like, hey, you can't do that. But also, we don't care because we got gold and palaces and you have a farm that's probably not going to work and you guys are all going to be dead. So, yeah, you're you're either going to come back (laughs) 
crawling on your knees or you're going to die. Yeah. Or if the miracle happens that you make something good, we're going to tax the shit out of it and it's ours. Yeah, totally. Yep. Win-win. Exactly. (laughs) There's tons of political (laughs) instability at this time. And um, also this was a time when religion and state were very closely tied. They're not, they're not, um, they're, they're not separated in the sense that King James which, by the way, if you recognize that name, that's because the King James version of the Bible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So this king literally had the Bible rewritten into a way that he thought um, was the correct transla- translation. And that was a king that did that. Um, so that shows you how closely tied these are. His King James, his policies of religious tolerance after 1685 were met with Tons of opposition from members of other leading political circles who were troubled by his Catholicism and his close ties with France, the most powerful Mm. country in the world. Yeah? Okay. So, the Puritans. These are the people that we're going to be talking today. Are you starting to put two and two together? Haunted, haunted, haunted. The Puritans are very haunted, in my opinion, because... They literally were trying to be as pure as possible. And so what what happens when you try to become pure? History has taught us that that comes with a lot of destruction of things that you consider impure. Right. Yes. So the Puritans, spark notes on them, um, they were formal rejectors of Roman Catholicism. They were like, no gold, no music, nothing that's supposed to be lavish. Then we're going to be pious and we're going to do God stuff. This is why white people can't dance because <laughs> they their ancestors literally uh, decided that dancing was the devil. Right. And that is one of the huge tropes of um, people like dancing with the devil in the woods naked. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the scenes that we have to accuse people of being evil. Um, yeah. So they were advocating greater purity of worship and doctrine as well as personal and corporate piety. They had a quest for a holier life. So they were all about we're going to do what's in the Bible. If the Bible says you know, um, you can't have sheep, then you can't have sheep. We're not going to ask questions about it. We're not going to say, well, maybe they shouldn't have sheep at that time. We're going to just do what it says. If the Bible says that a woman is unclean on her period, then guess what? We're going to make her sleep in the stable until her period ends. Does it say that in the Bible? Yeah. There was a whole group of people that thought that when, because the Bible says like, oh, a woman is unclean and should not be touched during her like time of the month or whatever. And so people would literally make their wives go live in a different area than them when they were on their period. I would love to see like an SNL style sketch of a puritanical man being like, no, 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 I've invented a bed that goes in the vagina that takes all of the blood and sucks it up. So now they can sleep in the bed with us because there's a tiny bed inside their vagina. And that's the tampon. And they may die of toxic shock, (laughs) but at least I'm not impure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much stuff in the Bible about uh, that's meant to, to just help people survive. Like, we didn't understand germs. We didn't understand hygienic practices. So there's a lot of stuff in there um, about how to clean your meat and how to live yeah. in a way. How to clean your meat. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> not it's not that. But it, it's also that, too. They do tell. We do talk yeah, about it. Yeah, circumcision. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a lot of stuff about that Judaism, the that's the whole thing that kosher is, is how to separate your food so that you don't get sick. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um 
Yes. And so they, in current English, Puritan often means, quote, against pleasure. And these are some things that, <laughs> this is something that I found interesting about them, is that they actually embrace sexuality. So oh, I didn't know that. You wouldn't think that, yeah. But they place it in the context of marriage. So they're like, once you get married, you can do all the freaky, weird sex stuff you want with the person you're married to, because that's seen really? as sacred in the eyes of God. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So one Puritan settlement in Western Massachusetts actually banished a husband because he refused to fulfill his sexual duties to his wife. Fuck yeah. Whoever <laughs> banished that guy, make him president. <laughs> um, but these Puritans, they got some bite to them. So like we said, they uh, got rid of the music that was in the church, the choral music and the instruments, um, because they those were associated with Roman Catholicism. However, some of the psalms were considered appropriate, like the really soft, like, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul. You know those? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Did that sound like Mandy Moore and Angel Wow. Singing? It sounded like um, Mandy Moore singing, I'm missing you like candy. <laughs> wow. Was that great? That was Sign great. Me. Yeah. <laughs> we were available for hire, guys. Uh, so the, the Puritans... They took these church organs and they damaged and destroyed them with an axe, which I thought was cool. That is kind of badass. It's pretty metal. Like, yeah, you're, I'm picturing this, you know, people with pointy shoes on and bonnets taking an axe to a huge organ, just being like, fuck this. We will not have this in my church. <laughs> That's the ultimate metal is destroying music. <laughs> <laughs> you ever just get in those moods where you want to destroy music. <laughs> also, the act of destroying a piano or an organ would create music because you'd be banging it's, on the keys. Right. It's so much more noise. Yeah. But I like it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They should have just wheeled it into the forest and let the animals. <laughs> well, then that's where the demons and the witches are going to get yeah. them. Um, okay. So other things that are going on in this time, and I love this. I just wrote in big, bold 1600s technology. <laughs> These are, uh, what do you think 1600s toilets were, Alyssa? Okay. I'm going to say, <laughs> uh, it's not a chamber pot because that's the, is it a chamber pot? There, so chamber pots and cesspits. Now people are familiar with what a chamber pot is. Gagged. Can you take a guess at what a cesspit yeah, is? Yeah. It sounds like a cesspool, <laughs> which is uh, a big area that all your shit goes right so we have cesspools these days well they're tanks we have septic tanks that go right. underground so a lot of people most of us so a lot of people don't realize this but your all of the stuff that's flushing from your toilet is not necessarily just going through some tube at, to the sanitation plant a lot of it just goes straight into the ground into this big tank especially if you have an older house and you have to get them drained like every Ugh few hundred years i don't know actually yeah. I have, maybe it's five years i don't know one i of remember those. steve told me a story about one of his friends that their house was really old and so they had a septic tank Ugh. and their parents wouldn't let anybody put their toilet paper in the toilet to flush it they made them put them in the trash can so the trash cans would just be overflowing with shit toilet paper also though that's how it is like in thailand and in, in mexico some yeah place, in, some of the poorer places in right mexico. because they don't have the structure to hold that so yeah that's to me that's not as bad as what um to me that's not as bad as these cesspits which are essentially it's literally like uh, just an open area where you shit on it it's like i hate that yeah so i'll post some pictures to the instagram but 
what these chambers of these cesspits looked like is it's just a hole in the ground that you poop on and then or pee on and then it just all flows down below onto a big pit and then people clean those at night and those men are called gong farmers gong farmers <laughs> yeah they're men they come in at night they clean these things at night when everyone's sleeping and they're called gong fa- farmers okay does that not sound like a horror though sounds like dung farmer but <laughs> gong far it sounds like these are the pariahs of society but i'm sure they weren't i'm sure it was just considered like a normal necessary well, job like, well my father was a gong farmer so i'll become a gong farmer and my child will become a gong farmer and then the child runs away and it's like a coming of age story and then in the background, there's a harpsichord that's like, and then at the end, they catch the son who ran away into the forest to become a dancer instead of a gong farmer, and they think he's a witch and they kill him. Mm, wow, wow, tragedy. Somebody hire us. Yeah. Uh, so the Enlightenment is about to happen at this time. So uh, the Enlightenment is at between 1685 to 1815, long time. And it's a part of the movement referred to by its participants as the Age of Reason or simply the Enlightenment. Mm. So Age of Reason and Enlightenment are the same time. So imagine you're literally pooping on a cauldron. <laughs> okay. You're pooping on a cauldron, probably have hemorrhoids and syphilis and all other kinds of diseases and itchy things that we don't even think about. Right. And you're wondering if all your suffering for God is actually not rewarded with heaven. And your whole family maybe just died on cursed land from drinking water laced with human feces leaving you an orphan who has to sleep on a bed of straw and mold. And the only thing you can blame is definitely not God because he's not going to give you the death by diarrhea and definitely not the government because they're going to give you death by hanging. So what do you do? You direct your fear to other people. And who are those people, Alyssa? Witches. Correct. Welcome to the Salem Witch Trials. Yes. 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 So before I start this, an hour is not enough time to go into the Salem Witch Trials. Obviously, everyone has their own knowledge of this. There's tons of stuff out there for you guys. I have chosen what I think are the spookiest, strangest, and most titulating portions of the Salem Witch uh, of the Salem Witch Trials. So let's start by this. So, Massachusetts, 1692. The witchcraft craze in Europe is dying down. From the early decades of the 14th century until 1650, continental Europeans executed between 200,000 and 500,000 witches. I bet you they were all really hot too, so now that gene pool no longer lives on because the government just had to go kill them. 85% or more of whom were women. The witch craze answered the need for the redefinition of moral boundaries as a result of the profound changes in the medieval social order. As we talked about, everything's crumbling. The fact that these executions and the accompanying demonological theories enjoyed widespread and popular acceptance can be explained through anime. And anime means the lack of normal ethical or social standards. Okay. So I want you to hold on to that word anime because it is going to define everything I'm about to talk about next. Okay. Got it. Anime. So we think of the Salem witch trials and uh, we think Salem, Massachusetts, right? Yeah. So despite being generally known as the Salem witch trials, the preliminary hearings in 1692 were conducted in several towns. Salem Village, 
which is now called Danvers, Salem Town, Ipswich, and Andover. So the most infamous trials were conducted by the, coi- uh, the court of Oyer and Terminer in 1692 in Salem Town. So we call it in the Salem Witch Trials. They're about a whole group of towns and areas that were having these witch hunts. Okay. But now, all within Massachusetts? All within Massachusetts. Got it. Yes. Now, all of this um, sort of witch hysteria can be traced back to this man named Joseph Glanville. And here's a picture of Joseph Glanville. Hmm. He looks like literally every person during that time. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing a wig. He's got on the judge robe thing. Um, okay. So he was born in 1636 and died in 1680. He was an English writer, philosopher, and clergyman. He was the leading propagandist for the approach of English natural philosophers of the 17th century. In 1661, he predicted that... Okay, here. so here's one thing that's kind of interesting. In 1661, he predicted that the time will come when making use of magnetic waves that permeate the ether, we shall communicate with persons on the opposite side of the globe. So like a telephone? It could be a telephone or it could be the internet. He literally... He predicted. He is... Al Gore. Al Gore, yes. Yeah. Wow. Same wavelength. Wow. Yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what did I... What, what just happened there? All right. So he was raised in a strict Puritan household and educated at Oxford University. He's also the rector of the Abbey Church at Bath. So this is an educated person. Right. Yeah. He went to Oxford and he's also the rector of this church. So he is well respected in most um, by not only the field of science and knowledge, but also the clergyman. So he created this book against modern sadducism sadicism in 1668 and he claimed that he could prove the existence of witches and ghosts of the supernatural realm he wrote about the denial of the bodily resurrection and supernatural spirits and here is what this picture looks like of his book what do you think of this book a blow at modern sadicism I mean, it looks old. It looks like it's written with calligraphy. And right. and they did that weird thing where in, like that where they put Fs instead of Ss. Yeah, that's why I'm like struggling to read it. Yeah, so yeah. it looks like philosophical confederations. Yeah, I'm like in foam <laughs> philosophical right. confederations. So it says a blow at modern sadicism in some philosophical and some philo- philosophical considerations about witchcraft Ooh. and the relation of the famed disturbance at the house of mamompens with reflection whatever it doesn't matter point is he wrote some weird book on witchcraft all right and he is essentially the dude so did you ever watch the fairly odd parents uh yeah i did yeah so he's the guy that's like fairies and witches yeah the teacher mr yes. crocker exactly yeah he is mr crocker wow so in his treatise, he claimed that ingenious men should believe in witches and apparitions. If they doubted the reality of spirits, then they not only denied demons, but also almighty God. So his whole treatise oh. was basically saying, if you're denying witches and fairies and all that, then you're also denying God. Therefore, you are not a good Puritan. Therefore, do what I say. So, yeah. Much. So he's manipulating people into believing in witches and wizards. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Um, And the funny thing about the most famous part of his book that says all of that stuff wasn't even published by him. It was published after his death. 
someone oh. someone basically found this diary writing that he obviously didn't think was good enough to yeah. publish <laughs> in his life and they were like actually i'm going to publish this now and it resulted in the deaths of mil- like hundreds of thousands of innocent people Anyways. Okay. Well, I was going to say, man, people don't appreciate you till you're gone. But then it turns out <laughs> that the stuff he didn't publish got people killed. So never mind. And to give you uh, to give you a small example of like what you could find in this treatise on witches, he was the first person to publish anything about a witch's bottle. Do you know what a witch's bottle is? A witch's vagina? <laughs> No, but here's an excerpt from uh, his treatise. All right. An inverted bottle. For an old man that traveled up and down the country and had some acquaintance at that house, calling in and asking the man of the house how he did in his wife. He told he himself that he was well, but his wife had long time in languishing condition and that she was haunted with a thing in the shape of a bird that would flur near her face and that she could not enjoy nor natural west well. Nor she could not enjoy her natural rest well the old man bid him and his wife be of good courage it was but a dead sprite he said and he would put him in of course to rid his wife of this languishment and trouble he therefore advised him to take a bottle and put his wife's urine into it together with pins and needles and nails and cork them up and set the bottle to the fire well corked which when it had felt a while the heat of the fire began to move and joggle a little but he for sureness took the fire shovel and held it hard upon the cork. And as he thought, he felt something on one while on this side, another while on that, shoved the fire shovel off, which he quickly put out again. But at last, one shoving the cork bounced out and the urine, pins, nails and needles all flew up and gave a report like a pistol. And his wife continued in the same trouble and languishment still. So this is literally <laughs> an old man writing kink literature. He's like, yeah, I really love it when my wife pisses in a bottle and I put needles in it. I mean, I just love that because here's a, the story is about a man who knows neither this wife or this man that live in this house. It's just an old man walking and he goes into this house for no reason and is like, hey, what's up? And the man, <laughs> the man is like, actually, my wife can't sleep at night and because there's a bird flying around her face. And this old man that knows neither of them is like, oh, it is but a dead sprite. Here, we must capture it. Take this bottle. Your wife will pee in it and put pins and needles in it and then we'll set it on fire. And then they set it on fire and it's like, you know, boiling inside there because it's urine and piss and then it all flies out like a pistol and his wife is still sick this was literally a crackhead that came (laughs) into their house to try to steal things from them that guy probably stole stuff from them and (laughs) probably yeah yeah so because that didn't work then basically next he's like okay yeah yeah, i just messed it up we're actually supposed to bury it so then he does the same thing he's still there they haven't gotten rid of this guy yet (laughs) no he says take your wife's urine as before and cork it in the bottle with the nails the pins and the needles and bury it in the earth and that will do the feature and then the man did accordingly and his wife began to mend sensibly an incompetent time and was finally well recovered but There came a woman from a town some miles off to their house with a lamentable outcry that they had killed her husband. And they asked her what she meant and thought her distracted, telling her that they knew neither her nor her husband. Yes, saith she, you have killed my husband. He told me so on his deathbed. But at last they understood by her that her husband was a wizard 
and had bewitched this man's wife, and that this counterpractice prescribed by the old man which saved the man's wife from languishment was the death of the wizard that had bewitched her. Okay, hold on. <laughs> so is the is the old man with the piss solution yeah. is he the wizard or is it the husband that's trying to help his wife so the old man no one knows who he is okay but the second time since the first time everything sprayed out of the bottle and and didn't work he's like okay no now we have to bury it and then they buried it and it worked but some other woman came out of the woods and was like you know what you guys killed my husband just now and they're like what oh oh how so the, sorry there are so many people wandering around the village in this story. Yeah. 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 So I love this. she's like, you killed my husband. And they're like, no, no, no. I think you have it wrong because we know neither you or your husband. And so then they deduce from this with their reason that actually her husband that died was a wizard that was bewitching his wife for some reason. Right. And so he and made the sprite fly around her head. To exactly. Keep her from sleeping. Yes. Yep. Wow. And so, good. And he deserved death. Exactly. So that was an excerpt from the person who was leading the <laughs> philosophy on witch hunting. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah. So there were some skeptics who protested this witch hunting. Um, a ma- like there was a bunch of them. Uh, the physician, a physician, Symphorian Champier from 1500 believed that many reports of alleged witchcraft could be explained by means of medical conditions. Bishop Antonio Venegas de Figueroa from 1540 cautioned against confusing witchcraft with mental, mental illness. Physician Johannes Weyer in 1563 argued that women accused of being witches were suffering from an imbalance of the humors resulting from the devil's interference, of course, and viewed their beliefs as imaginary. His approach has been considered a precursor to modern psychiatric methods. Um, so, And then there was all these witch finders that were going around who were sometimes opposed by locals who thought that they were just profiting off of witches, that they believed that the money that they would get from witch hunts um, was actually stronger than the possibility that they were hunting witches. Yeah, so, that sounds about yeah. right. So this is not to say that everybody from this time was as whack as the guy who <laughs> wrote that. Yeah, the piss story. The piss story, yeah. Um, there were people who were against this. Yeah. And one of my favorite stories of um, uh, the people that were skeptics of this was... Uh, so in 1460, a French man named Asseline was assaulted by Master Jehan with a spear. Asseline had ar- angered Jehan, who was a witch finder, by opposing his claims that two of Asseline's re- relatives were witches. In a later fight, Asseline struck Jehan fatally with a halberd. Local people, skeptical of Jehan's claims, successfully petitioned to the king to have Asseline pardoned, insisting that Jehan had been a fraud. So, essentially, this uh, witch hunter guy is like, your two relatives are witches, and he's like, no, you're not. And then he strikes him down with a halberd. And do you know what a halberd is? No. <laughs> it's this. What? The- <laughs> it's-, it's literally a medieval double-edged axe. Yeah, it's like a battle axe. Yeah. So how sick is that? Someone being like, your two relatives are witches, and you're like, no, let's go outside. Let me fight you with my battle axe. That's incredible. I yeah. hope it was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's to say that the not everyone was like mass hysteria, dumb. Like it's always taught to us in schools that like this was a time when the Puritans were crazy and the witches were you know scapegoats and da da da. It's like 
I think everybody did understand what was happening here. Right. They knew what was happening, but they were too afraid to speak out and be different because they didn't want to get, you know, battle axed. In some ways, <laughs> that makes me feel better about it, even though it's sad that people didn't speak up more to put a stop to it, because it, it at least reassures me that not everyone was an asshole. Right. Yeah. So now moving on to um, Salem. So the events which led to the Salem witch trials began when Paris's daughter, Betty, and her cousin Abigail Williams accused Reverend Paris's slave, Tituba, of witchcraft. So let's explore. Reverend Paris um, immigrated to Boston in the early 1600s after he attended Harvard because his father forced him to. And then when his father died, he immediately left Harvard, took all of his inheritance and went to Barbados, where he maintained a sugar plantation. So in 1680, after a hurricane hit Barbados... Paris sold his land there and returned to Boston with a slave that he had bought there. Her name was Tituba, and he married Elizabeth Eldridge. Um, so he came back from he, he came back from his plantation with a slave and met this beautiful woman who was um, said by the village to be the most beautiful woman in the entire village. Which is uh, and he was a very rich man from Barbados, or, or not? And he was a very rich man who was coming to Salem to buy up a bunch of land. So, yeah, like, she was hot. He was rich. Wow, a true love story. Right? I, yeah, that what a life yeah. that must be. <laughs> Together, they had three children, Thomas Paris, Elizabeth Paris, and Susanna Paris. And um, although this plantation that he had, the sugar plantation, supported his merchant ventures, Paris was dissatisfied with his lack of financial security. So what did he do? He decided to become a minister. But ministers don't make money. Exactly. So <laughs> he became, in 1689, he became the minister of Salem Village. And um, Salem Village was known from most of the nearby area to be a contentious place to live. It was quarrelsome. There were fights going on all the time. The people there hated each other. <laughs> um, it's And it could have been because it had this dispersed settlement pattern, which means that all the places were kind of spread out. Um, so there was a lack of common purpose that may have united a more orderly and arranged community. Like when we think of a when we think of a subdivision, it's usually like a bunch of houses in a circle around like a main plot of land that's either like a park or like a country club or like yeah. something like that, right? This was not like this. This was just spread out. Everyone's doing whatever they wanted. Sounds like very clicky. Yeah, it's very clicky. So like you said, ministers don't make any money. And um, there had been a lot of anomie right in mm -hmm. this area there's not a lot of government going on because previous ministers had each stayed only a few years before the parish was like well we're not going to pay you anymore and then they leave so the same thing happened to um the reverend in 1691 so like a couple years after he started there the town just decided to stop paying his wages because he had purchased gold candlesticks for the meeting house and news vessels for the sacraments. <gasps> but this isn't Catholicism. He can't have opulent adornments. Yeah. Can you imagine losing your job over a candlestick? No. <laughs> <laughs> like you come into work well, one day. Actually, you know what? If I came into work and I took the company credit card and I just bought a bunch of gold candlesticks, I would, I would probably get fired now that I think of it. He was being very bold. Yes. Yeah. He's being very bold. So in 1692, 
His par- his daughter, Elizabeth Betty Paris, who was nine years old, and his niece, 11, started having fits. And if these sound familiar to your episode on Annalise, it's because they are very similar. Ooh. These fits were described as beyond the power of epileptic fits or natural disease to affect by John Hale, the minister of a nearby town of Beverly. The girls screamed. They threw things about the room. They uttered strange sounds. They crawled under furniture. They contorted themselves into peculiar positions. According to the eyewitness account of Reverend Deodat Lawson, a former minister in Salem Village. The girls complained of being pinched and pricked with pins. And then other young women in the village began to exhibit similar behaviors. When Lawson preached as a guest in the Salem Village meeting house... He was interrupted several times by outbursts of the afflicted. So Lawson comes over to preach in Salem and he's in church and kids are just going nuts. And he's like, what is going on? Right. The devil is afoot? Question mark. <laughs> so. Yes. The devil is always afoot. A doctor, um, William Griggs, who, by the way, is not a doctor. He's self-taught. Okay, and he's but he's also red flag. Yeah, he's also the town's only doctor. Red flag number two. (laughs) He could find no physical evidence of any ailment on the girls. Well, of course not. He's a self-taught doctor. I can't just go read a book and become an attorney. Also, um, he was in his late 70s. Do you know any doctors that are practicing that are in their late 70s? No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I think the guy that gave me my marijuana card back when you had to go see a doctor to get it, that was on Venice Beach, was like literally like 70 years old. He doesn't even know where he is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, Okay. And so his also, this doctor's second wife, Rachel Hubbard, was in her mid 60s. And she was a member of Boston's first church, which was the same church that Samuel Paris, the Reverend Paris, belonged to when he was in Boston. So they're friends. All right. Okay. So already we've got a web. So another red weird, flag. Yeah, weird interpersonal relationships. This is now going the third on. red flag. There's a lot of red flags. <laughs> there. This is like, you know, you see uh, car salesmen, uh, the car sales going on. They've got all the flags. This is that. Yes. It's meant to get our attention. This is the third wacky inflatable arm <laughs> arm tube man blowing in the wind. So um, Griggs is checking out these girls and he's probably like, I don't know what's happening with them, but it's definitely not because I'm not a doctor and <laughs> not because I don't know what I'm doing. So it's the devil in witchcraft. Yeah. Right. Another girl, age, um, Ann Putnam, who was 11, she was experiencing similar episodes to this. And uh, so these girls are saying weird stuff is happening to us. We're having fits. We don't know what's going on. And then Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, who are these two magistrates that have been put into power into this um, Salem area that just recently lost its charter from the bigger country from England. They There's no... There's no um, political structure there. So they just take these two guys that were working close with the charter who have no experience in leading or politics or anything. And they're just like, okay, you guys make them an order of everything that's going on. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. So these guys are like, well, give us names. Tell us what's happening here. Tell us uh, who is doing this to you. And these girls who are 9 and 11, are they claim three people have done this to them. 
Um, Sarah Good, who is a homeless beggar. Sarah Osborne, who is an elderly impoverished woman. And Tichuba, which is a, their own slave. Hmm. So, which I think is just like a slap in the face. Yeah, like you raised me and exactly. do everything for us. Right. And so at first, Tichuba was like, no, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I didn't, I didn't like consort with the devil. And then later, Reverend Paris beats her until she confessed that she is a witch. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's reliable. Yeah. And she begins accusing others. And here's what she said in her testimony. Tichuba later confessed to making a witch cake. (laughs) Do you know what a witch cake is? Is it a cake that makes other people witches? No. So you take the urine. There's lots of urine. I know. You take the urine. Is this Bear Grylls? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Bear Grylls witch witch style. You take the urine of of whoever you think is a witch. And then you bake it into a cake. All right. But it's not that simple because once the cake is baked, who do you think eats the cake? The children. No. The witch's dog. What? Her familiar. So then you give the cake with the urine of the witch to the dog, who is a demon, as we all know, and the dog will speak the witch's name out. Okay. Right. So, Tichuba. <laughs> Tichuba. <laughs> that's, sorry, that's just not the way I expected it to go. I, I thought the cake was either going to turn people into witches or that the cake was going to be witch people. Right. It doesn't either. No. <laughs> uh, so Tichuba, that's what she said she did after she was beaten by the Reverend Paris. Yeah, she, right, right, That she comes yeah. up with that. So when she questioned, when she's questioned later, she added that she knew about cult, uh, occult techniques from her mistress in Barbados. Because as we know, Barbados is full of voodoo. And right. they have lots of cultural practices that are kind of occult and steeped in magic culturally. Mm-hmm. It's very different than, you know, puritanical right. Massachusetts. So... She said that uh, her mistress in Barbados taught her how to ward herself from evil powers and how to reveal the cause of witchcraft. And since such knowledge was not meant for harm, she asserted to Reverend Paris that she was not a witch. But she had admitted that she participated in the occult ritual when she made the witch cake. So? But I, okay, but so she feeds the cake to the dog, the dog speaks her name, and then what? And then that's what's supposed to happen, but the witch cake didn't work. That's what she said. (laughs) Okay. So she here's an account she told. She said a tall, white-haired man in a dark coat ordered her to hurt the children. If she did not, he threatened, then she would die. She then implicated his devious animal minions. He had a huge black dog, a hog, a black cat, a red cat, a yellow bird, and even an unknown hairy creature who walked on two legs. This is literally just your neighbor. I know. The farm? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She went so far as to include her fellow suspects, and as soon as she did this, then the people of Salem were freaked out because they're like, okay, here's Tichuba, the reverend slave. So she's really close to this reverend and these girls who are claiming that they're, you know, having these fits caused by the devil. And she's saying that not only did she talk to the devil, like he came to her house with all these animals, he uh, and she made this witch cake and it didn't work. But also, there are some other people who are in on this, too. And she didn't want to tell who else was in on this. When they asked her to give names or they brought people in front of her and they were like, were these the people that came to you? She suddenly became blind. So 
I think that this is a smart woman who's like, all right, I've lived with these white people since I was a teenager, and I know how this goes. If you don't do what they want you to, you get beaten. Right. So I'm going to do what they want me to, but I'm not going to accuse other people. So if they bring these other people in front of me, I'm just going to be like, I'm blind from the devil. Right. I mean, that's very honorable. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's being a martyr. Yes. So, um... Here's some other stuff that happened. So the other woman who was accused was Sarah Good, and she was a homeless beggar who was known to seek food and shelter from neighbors. She was accused of witchcraft because of her appalling reputation. And what do you think her appalling reputation is? I think that she is a sex worker. Oh, well, maybe. She um, was basically just a poor beggar. Oh, that's it? (laughs) Yeah. She took food and she took shelter from whoever would give it to her. Oh, and, that doesn't seem very bad at all. Right. But because this was puritanical society, not all of these people she was taking things from were considered to be like godly people. Some of them were just like, oh, here. I know. And you would think like, oh, someone who's helping yeah. the poor, like that's charity. a good person. That's the Bible talks about charity all the time. No. This is Puritan Bible. Because the reason why I said sex worker is because the Bible says a lot of things about prostitution. And so I was thinking, oh, maybe that's why they don't like her. But they don't like her because she's taking handouts from people that aren't Puritans. Yes. In addition, they said that her taking these handouts um, showed a lack of self-control. And quote, she uh, was accused of lacking and rejecting puritanical ideals of self-control and discipline when she chose to torment and scorn children instead of leading them towards the path of salvation when they wouldn't give her money but they're not her kids why does she got to be extra nice to them Mm -hmm. these are all things that we would say right (laughs) um and then sarah osborne her whole deal why she got convicted is because she rarely attended church meetings and she was accused of witchcraft because the puritans believed that she had her own self-interest in mind following her remarriage to an indentured servant the citizens of the town disapproved of her trying to control her son's inheritance from a previous marriage it's really bizarre the things they consider witchcraft yeah right so here are some of the things that were considered witchcraft. And like I said before, this, I mean, there's 20 people who were hanged in this. So I'm like just picking out some of them because um, we just don't have enough time to right. do all of them. So of the three women brought before the local magistrates, they were interrogated for several days. And Osborne claimed innocence, as did good. As I said, Tichuba was the only one who confessed that the devil came to her mm-hmm. and he, I had to bake this cake and all that. So everyone's put in jail. Um, while they're in jail, awaiting trial, a bunch of other people are convicted. And what's essentially happening is that these young girls are having these fits and then they're touching um, when the person that they're accusing of being a witch that's tormenting them comes and touches them, they immediately stop having the fit. So sounds like they're faking it. Yeah, I know. Doesn't it yeah. sound like they're faking it, but no one's going to say that because right. all the power is in this little girl's hands. So you're just going to play their game. And a lot of the people that were from Salem believed they were Puritans, right? So they believed like, how would this child lie? Yeah. This must be true. And in one case, one of the um, 
Giles Corey, his wife was put under trial and she's like, this is bullshit. This is not true. And he's like, that's my wife, but I don't believe her. I believe she's a witch. And it wasn't until someone convicted him and then he was crushed to death by stones that he was like, oh, you know what? Maybe this is all bullshit. You're right. (laughs) But yeah, he died. He was crushed to death by stone. He was silent the whole time. And here's the other thing is that if you admitted that you were a witch you lost all of your land so a lot of these people didn't they didn't just go through except for tichuba she has no land to lose she's she's a slave slave, right so a lot of these people died silent deaths because they didn't want to admit right they'll lose all their land so here's some other accusations that happened so giles Corey, the guy that was stoned to death here's why he was stoned to death someone said I saw the apparition of Giles Corey come and afflict me, urging me to write in his book, and so he continued most dreadfully to hurt me, by times beating me and almost breaking my back, till the day of his examination, being the 19th of April in 1692. And then, also during the time of his examination, while he's in jail or in court, he did afflict and torture me most grievously. And also several times since, urging me vehemently to write in his book. And I verily believe in my heart that Giles Corey is a dreadful wizard. For since he had been in prison, he or his appearance has come most grievously tormented me. So basically, anyone who didn't like somebody could just accuse that person of being a witch. Right. Yeah. And it would fuck their whole life up. So Bridget Bishop, who was an older woman known for her gossipy habits and promiscuity. She was 60 and unmarried. Um, she was convicted of being a witch. And here are some of the things that were in court used to testify that she was a witch as evidence. She wore black clothing and odd costumes. She, when she was examined before her trial, she was asked about her coat, which had been awkwardly cut or torn in two ways. And she said that's how she liked it. (laughs) All right. So she's a fashionista. Yeah. Yeah. This, along with her immoral lifestyle, affirmed to the jury that she was a witch. She went to the trial the same day and was convicted. Um, and then here is here is her the trial. This is what someone said about her. Can you read this? Good wife Bishop, her neighbor wife of Edwa, Bishop Jenner, might not be permitted to receive the Lord's Supper in our church till she had given her the said task satisfaction for some offenses that were against her, because the said bishop did entertain people in her house at unseasonable hours (laughs) in the night to keep drinking and playing at shuffleboard, whereby discord did arise and other families and young people were in danger to be corrupted, and that the said Trask knew these things and had once gone into the house and finding some at shuffleboard had taken the pieces they played with and thrown them into the fire and had reproved the said bishop for promoting such disorders but received no satisfaction from her about it yeah so basically she was like having a party at night and i kind of love this story because someone comes in and is like hey stop having this party it's late at night and they're playing the shuffleboard and then she takes the pieces and throws them at the person and then the person takes those and throws them into the fire but she shows no remorse she's just like (laughs) okay whatever she's like whatever we're still gonna keep drinking and partying yeah and they're like okay you're a witch yeah 
Um, so there was a bunch of these. And what I hate about the Salem Witch Trials, which is so sad, is it's not a story about witches. Like, there's no, like, double-double, toil and trouble, cauldrons right. burn, whatever. Like, there's nothing. It's just people who are like, oh, she was awake at a weird time. Or, um, I don't know, I had a dream that maybe she was, you know, wearing a weird coat. Like, it's not... My, my daughter has a mental disability therefore it's my slave's fault exactly yeah yeah and so what ends up happening is that the people are everyone's getting hung over this and it's like bad it's really bad and the people see this too and they know that it's gotten out of control but everyone's kind of scared they don't know what to do there's no charter in place there's no government in place the trials are taking place in this fake trial court thing that's appointed by their governor um who's not even there right now their governor is literally hunting treasure in london (laughs) he's like going around shipwrecks and finding gold and getting rich he's He's, famous in london fucking scuba diving and nick caging it up (laughs) yeah in europe yeah meanwhile his society that he's supposed to be in charge of is in disarray he's literally getting knighted as this is all happening in London. And so someone writes to him and they're like, hey, this court that you set up to deal with your problems while you're gone and being in London, um, they're they're hanging people. They've hung like 20 people. And he's like, oh, shit, and gets on a boat and comes back and is like, you know what? I'm absolving this court. You guys can no longer do this. And um, the someone the person who wrote him the letter that was sent on the ship that got to him and was like an appeal for this court to be taken he sent the reply back to absolve the court on the same ship so that's like how fast it was like they sent a letter to him being like this is what's going down and he was like oh my god let me write this real quick take this back right and then he ends up showing up by the time he showed up you know, 20 people have already died. Wow. So in the new court that he sets up, he's like, you guys can't ha- use spectral evidence. And spectral evidence is evidence that's like, I had a dream or an apparition came to me. So you can't use that to condemn people. So this new court ends up not killing anybody. Great. Yeah, which is great. But yeah. the damage has already been done. So on October 29th, uh, with Pips, the governor's letter, he, uh, the judge says the court of Oyer and Terminer count themselves thereby dismissed. So they're done. And governors, um, perhaps by coincidence, they say, but I think this is the whole reason that this happens, is that Governor Pips's own wife has come under speculation of being a witch uh, while he's gone. Yep, that'll make you change your mind real quick. Yeah. So he's like, oh, okay, I'm back. Everything's fine bunch of people are dead he pardons anyone who died and um they kind of like try to like neatly tie this all up and they're like oh nothing happened whatever but that's why like i i hate the salem witch trials because when we think of witches we think of the salem witch trials but it's not witches it's just kind of like this political sad story of people trying to steal land from one another and gain power in this anomie as we were saying and like you said there's not really any witchcraft or magic to be had it's just oh, this person is wearing a jacket I don't like that's cut in two places and she refuses to sew it up because she likes it that way. Therefore, she's a witch. Yeah, exactly. And I was searching through to find stuff from the trials where at least I could quote some cool thing of them being like, oh, she had to make a witch's cake. And the only cool ones I could find were from Tichibel, the slave. And they were all literally nonsense. Like they, you know, it was just clearly her being like, oh, a dog and a cat came. and, um, And now I'm blind, so I can't tell you the rest. 
Well, and literally the only reason why she said any of that is because she didn't want to die. Right. And she didn't have anything to lose. Uh-huh. And she was being beat. So she actually comes out, I think, for her on top of this whole thing because all of these other people who wouldn't confess um, ended up dying because they didn't want to lose their land and they didn't want to confess, you know, because they actually were Puritans and they're not going to confess to having doing the devil's bids or whatever. Um, And Tichuba, who is not a puritan she's from barbados she's a slave she doesn't have any land she's just she's like you know what i'll do whatever they tell me to she's put in jail for a really long time and then the reverend is so mad at her when it's done that he won't pay her jail fees to get out so she's just rotting away in jail and someone else comes and buys her jail fees and then she disappears so oh she came out on top she's not even a slave anymore. yeah exactly she disappears from the re- the records she marries this person who bought her for her jail fees and then her name changes and we lose track of her oh wow yeah i want to know who bought her i know yeah there's so a lot of this stuff too because the records were so it was all like hearsay pretty much they're not well kept so a lot of this is having we're deducing what's happening from reading these records and like looking at you know these uh Uh, like fuck like 1600s manuscripts like you can see this letter that was written that was sent on the boat to the governor from london to the honorable governor and cornell and general assembly now sitting at boston the humble petition of us whose names are subscribed here and to now prisoners of joswick ipswich ipswich humbly yeah i can't i can like barely read it yeah, yeah it's like it looks like it's harry potter written yeah it does yeah so basically there's they basically they're saying um they're killing us for and we're suffering and they're and people are imprisoned and people are getting hung and it's miserable this last line says thus hoping you will grant us a, a grant us um a resolve at this present that we be riot that we not live to perish thus hoping you will grant us at the present that we must not live to perish in this miserable condition and shall we always pray for thee isn't that the most polite way yes. to say hey um everyone's being murdered and we and don't want to live in this miserable condition i so don't want to get murdered <laughs> yeah please come back yeah so i this i don't think i love witches first of all so this is not the end of witch stories from that because there's so much better witch stories than this one but this one i do like because i like i like well it's it's sort of the basis for all other witch stories like when you think of witches the first thing you think of is the salem witch trials so let's get this story out of the way so we can talk about actual witches yeah because this story is bullshit. This is just being yes. rude to women. The real witches in this story are that group that <laughs> the governor made and put them in charge. And then yeah. they uh, decided that they were holier than thou and that they had the power to decide who was right and who was wrong and who was doing what. And they got power drunk. And now that this thing that I always like to do is... Um, I like to kind of relate what this story is about to our modern time. I think that this is very similar. Nineteen or sixteen ninety two Salem is very similar to two thousand nineteen internet culture. We mm. have this whole I cancel culture going on where instead of 
teaching somebody what's right and wrong or instead of trying to figure out what's really going on we just condemn someone and they're done and then we move on and we do it to the next person and it gives us our own power and it gives us our own sense of righteousness because we're on the right side of history and i think it's bullshit trial by public opinion so what do you think of the salem witch trials it's bullshit right yeah, it's my least favorite of the witch Did you stories. think Tichuba really made a cake with urine and fed it to a dog? No. No. Yeah, me neither. No. No. I think she might have been the most reasonable person in this whole thing. Honestly, if I'm baking a cake, I'm not going to give it to my dog. My favorite. What's your favorite part of this whole story? Okay, my favorite part, 100%, is the story of the weird old man that just walks <laughs> into that, that couple's house and is like, oh, your wife can't sleep. Tis a Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> Pee in this bottle. Let's make it explode. I think that these people were lacking entertainment like they took away their music they took away their stories they took away everything and the only sensationalism and the only fun they could have was through demon stuff like they're like oh like this is a chance for us to have fun and to be alive and something's happening and it gave them a purpose i'm sure like oh we're doing the lord's work we're clearing the town of the demons and like that story that that guy wrote about the witch's bottle was fascinating yeah to, to have that be something that's new that you get to read and that you're allowed to read would be great. It was it, honestly, I laughed really hard during that story. <laughs> it's like the best thing I've ever heard. It's literally just an old man that is a scam artist slash has a kink and wants uh, to see someone's wife pee in a bottle. Oh, not going to kink shame here. Of course not. But that's <laughs> what happened. So our next witch story will be better, we promise. But we have to get this one out of the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because also we've been getting a ton of tons of requests for the Salem Witch Trials. So this is for you guys. Now you understand the background upon which we shall build all other witch stories. Mm-hmm. Slay. Slay. Buy our merch. Slay. Link in <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Literally anywhere you can think of, the link is going to be there. Buy our merch. Right. Tell your friends about it. Tell their friends about it. And help us out support us make it so that merch for all doesn't think that they wasted their time giving us this opportunity and platform to create and sell merchandise and if you're interested in knowing how to support the show you want to support the show buy our merch it co- yeah like it cost me 30 bucks to get here between ubers and stuff and i'm sure it was the same for you with gas yeah, stuff with gas. so all your venmos even if it's one dollar and 69 cents because i know you guys like to do 420 and yeah 69 <laughs> i know i got it one. helps i got one for 169 like two months ago and i was think i was like i literally can't even venmo you half of this so i had to wait until i got another venmo <laughs> and then i could add those two together and then send to you we love it yeah but we love it yeah keep doing it yeah 169 420 420 Hell yeah. $6,969. Mm, infinite. Infinite dollars. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>
Listen to Counterclock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.